So what if the, the table is the real intent of the whole action of, of Holy Week and that Good Friday is the moment in which Rome decides that it's going to destroy the table? And so Rome introduces the cross to stop the feast from ever going any further than that upper room. This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Hi, listeners. This is your producer, Easton Davis, welcoming you to Four People. Today is Good Friday and is part two of a conversation with special guest, Diana Butler-Bass. Uh, you know, you, had a, you have a great quote out there that, you know, why is that choice always seemed to be between, uh, you know, intelligence on ice or ignorance on fire <laughs> when it comes to church choices, right? And, and it seems like Jesus finds the middle there. He's on fire when it needs to be. He's informed by his tradition, and yet he's not bound by it. He's, he's, he's moving out and beyond. And so I think that's the way we've got to try to model that, how we actually get these uh, congregations, institutions, groupings of people to sort of embrace that whole cloth, I don't know. I don't know. You, you have any thoughts about that? If you do, <laughs> yeah, that book will be a New York Times bestseller. Well, I, I, I'm certainly not alone in trying to wrestle that question to yeah. the ground. You know, yeah. I, I have written some about it, but um, I, I just uh, this last month, I've been working with a good friend of mine by the name of Trip Fuller, who's a Baptist, and he teaches at the University of Edinburgh. And uh, he's he's a science and religion guy. He's really, really smart. And he's 40. So he's a good bit younger than I am. And um, one of the things that we've been talking about some of these issues, and um, he's recently been reading Andy Root, um, who is, I, I believe, at Luther Seminary. And Andy's been writing about the, the future of the church in this moment, you know, sort of how, how we imagine uh, the the, the life of clergy going ahead, what spiritual practices look like, what congregations look like, what will be the shape of religion in, in the coming, coming decades. And uh, one of the things, and it goes right to this question that uh, Tripp and I sort of picked up from Andy, um, is that Andy points out that in the Middle Ages and a, a bit later, um, early modern period, perhaps in as late as even the early 19th century, um, people got inspired in Christian circles. Regular Christians got inspired by reading mystic, mystical literature, you know, devotional literature. And you can just, you know, the books behind me, there's an entire bookcase I have that is nothing but sort of uh, spiritual classics, mystical classics. And I've read them all. Um, and I've taught classes on on a lot of 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 them, and so so mystical literature was the way that people apprehended God. But then Root makes this really interesting claim, and he says, "But we've switched that up in the last hundred years, and instead of mystical literature being the primary source of inspiration, memoir has become the primary source of inspiration." So, so the example I just gave of Barack Obama is, is one that's in the political realm, but that's about more than politics. It's about all those things you just talked about. It's about meaning. It's about personhood. It's about the deepest sense of who, we, who, who oneself is. It's about what is fair, what is just, all right. these timeless right. questions. Right. And so um, 
all of this together and the work that I've been doing over this, this, the last two decades, which is very memoir driven. Phyllis Tickle said when she worked at Phil, at Publishers Weekly about 15 years before she died and she first found my work, she, she literally thought I had invented a new genre <laughs> of, of work, which linked the academic and the sort of the predictive trend orientation that all my work has with, with, with memoir. Um, but uh, so this has been something I've been pursuing for for two decades now as a writer. Uh, but this idea of memoir being the driver of our of bringing us closer to God is individuals is very strong in my work. But what if the church reimagined itself as storytelling community? So instead of it being a, a community that teaches people about the historical Jesus, instead of it being just a community that recites the creeds, it has those things. We have all that in our history. We have all those resources. What if now the primary calling is to enable people to understand the stories of Jesus, the stories of their own lives, and to be able to frame and, 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 and tell those stories um, to one another within the community, but also then to be able to tell those stories whenever they're called to um, in any other situation. And so the idea of storytelling being central to somehow the church's life going forward, I do not quite think that the church has grasped it quite as strongly as it should as a central practice, but it's hinted at so beautifully. If you think of some of the best voices in the Episcopal church, they're incredible storytellers, mm -hmm. you know, Barbara Brown Taylor. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. what else has she been doing, but shaping story and memoir in particular as sort of the central point of Christian identity um, you think of someone like Anne Lamont, who is Presbyterian, but nevertheless, very much the same impulse. Nadia Boltz Weber, Lutheran, same thing. Rachel Held Evans, you know, sadly, we've lost her, but she became an Episcopalian. And I know from my personal friendship with her, a big part of that was not just because we said the creeds and had the Eucharist, and it wasn't just because you could explore any question about Jesus as an uh, intellectual endeavor, but because somehow every week the community that she entered into embodied a story that she wanted to be part of. And that as a writer, she could both enter into that story and she was helping to shape it so that people could understand the story more fully. But you, but if you start looking across the Episcopal Church, one of the things that you see in particular, and I think our best preachers do this, I think that the presiding bishop is doing this, it's mostly uh, women and people of color who have really been leading the charge about the power of memoir as, and the power of our stories to be the place of cohesion the place where we can really enter into Anglican identity to share and speak our deepest poetry into the world. And, and to me, that's what Anglicanism always has been. Anglicanism is, is in my sense, um, it's, it's not really a, a, theo a systematic theology. What Anglicanism is, is a poetry of a way of life. Thank you. 
Hi listeners, this is your producer, Easton Davis, thanking you for listening to Four People, a space of digital evangelism. Keep up with us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. As we approach Easter, we encourage you to find a church wherever you are listening to be in community with God's beloved during this holy time. And now back to Four People. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I mean, and, and look at that prayer book, whether you call it the new book or, or just the book. I mean, I, I think that's what people see uh, in, the, in the words of the prayer books. They, they see beautiful words sort of uh, that are trying to point at a wondrous God who continues to intervene uh, personally, you know, and corporately. Um, well, we're, we're, we're sort of recording this you know, and, and Easter's not too far. We're recording this just before Palm Sunday. So Easter's out, uh, not too far away. Is there, is there any idea, thought, word, story you're holding on to given the pandemic and everything life over the last two years? Is there, is there something about this Easter for you as we sort of get towards it? This, um, Lent, I've been thinking about the story of the table on Thursday. Um, the, the, the narrative of Easter has shifted for me very strongly in recent years. And that is, I keep wondering why it is that we treat the table as it's nothing more than a prelude to what happens on Friday. Um, I've been writing a number of pieces I've been, and preaching on the centrality of Monday Thursday uh, to the whole story. And what I really believe at this point is that Monday Thursday is the hinge of history. That it's the moment that, that the gathering around that table is the last supper of the old world in which the Roman empire has power. And it becomes the first feast of the kingdom of God. And so often uh, there was this old line, talk about Anglican poetry. C.S. Lewis used it um, in, I believe in the fifties to talk about the cross as the wood between the worlds, which is lovely, Be- you know, cause there's the Anglican poetic notion in full force. Um, but that might be true. But what if instead the emphasis was less on the wood between the worlds and more on the hinge of history? And, and what I think, if you really pay attention to the table and what's happening on that Thursday, I think there's a revolution that is occurring. Uh, there was a Baptist uh, theologian, a woman uh, who died a few years ago in, in her 80s by the name of um, Beatrice Berteau, who wrote a book called The Holy Thursday Revolution. It was published by Orbis Press. Uh, that book might be one of the single most influential books in my thinking that I've read in the last decade. And she really makes this incredibly strong case for this thing that she calls the Holy Thursday Revolution. So what if the, the table is the real intent of the whole action of, of Holy Week and that Good Friday is the moment in which Rome decides that it's going to destroy the table? The table is the threat. And so Rome introduces the cross in the execution to stop the feast from ever going any further than that upper room. That's, 
And so then the cross becomes Rome's no to the vision of the kingdom of God. You go through Holy Saturday and the question is, oh my gosh, what's going to happen here? You know, has Rome had the last word? Yes. And then you get this, the, the story of the garden. And then you get the answer. Right. And, and what I love, I wish that the lectionary text didn't divide the John account up into two Sundays, because first we get the story of Mary Magdalene in the garden and, you know, Jesus uh, turns around, says Mary, and she sees Jesus and she says, oh, Raboni, you know, and there are people saying that that's basically a, a, her confession. You know, Oh, my gosh, look at that. You've you've risen. And she goes and runs off and tries to tell the disciples. Well, the next week we usually run. We usually read what happens immediately following that. But it's all one story in the text. And so what happens in that story is she runs off. She tells the disciples they don't believe her and they're they they're holed up. And they are scared of what's going to happen. Are the, you know, the authorities going to come and get them? The Romans going to put them on crosses next. And what happens is they are in the upper room. They're in, they're not at the, at the hill where the cross was. They're, they're, they're hiding out in the upper room. And Jesus, the first resurrection account that isn't to an individual, but rather is to the whole group of disciples is Jesus returns to the very table where he last sat with them on Thursday, which just goes to show to me that that, that is Jesus sort of underscoring the point of this, this action. It's not a tritium. It's a quid, it's a quadrilateral. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's like, oh my gosh, that all the F, the emphasis falls on Friday, I think misses the point of the two stories at the wings, the table and then Jesus returned to the table. The table is the point. I, I think you're on to something here. You know, I mean, with all due respect to C.S. Lewis, I think um, it's not the wood. What is it? The wood in the worlds. It's uh, it's the it's the table that holds the two worlds together. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah. So that's what I love about the hinge of history. Yeah. It's really the turning. So it's not like the cross is the wood between the worlds. And the in effect, you know, th that sets the cross up as something that is between the worlds that you can never get back to. It's a permanent liminal space. And I think that if you understand a hinge of history, uh, you understand that it's less of something that's between two things and more of a, a, like a door is on hinges. You know, it's, it's, it's a real opening. It's a thing. It, it, the, the, the table isn't just some far off hope or uh, some sort of thing that happened on a hill 2000 years ago. Um, but it is an actual continual open door toward community, toward the kingdom, towards feasting, a table where everyone is seated and all are fed. And to me, that's the story that the world right now is literally starving for. And, and so that's the way that I've been telling the story this year. And I, I don't think I have had such a sort of sparkling Lent in terms of its spiritual insights from, for um, my own life, as I've been tracing through and preaching in each successive week's passages. And 
I'm literally to the point where I just can't wait for Monday, Thursday. Wow. That is absolutely, absolutely wonderful. Um, you, you know, as they say, that will preach, uh, <laughs> that will preach and that will teach. And it, and, and it just goes to show you how we can really get so captured in the violence of, of Good Friday that we don't, we miss the hospitality and the grace that happens on both sides of that thing. In, in, in some ways, doesn't it, it, um, well, in some ways it decenters that and and offers something larger to us, which I think is the is the whole point of resurrection, right? Is that we're being offered something larger that we can't even imagine. Um, I'm just so glad to hear you say that because that's always my fear when we shrink the weekend to the 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 Friday and Saturday Sunday action. It really does wind up sort of um, lifting up the violence and the suffering aspect of it, which is obviously there and really important for us to talk about. But it, it, it reifies it in such a way that it's turned it into the point. And what you just said was just gorgeous as a way of telling my story in your language. And I love how you did that, um, is that the story of hospitality that is on either end of the violence is the real it's the real story and it and it, and it and you know uh i mean it's a in some ways you know we don't want to go too far with this but in some ways this this uh thursday friday saturday sunday becomes a, a real rorschach test for us doesn't it um what we see and what we don't see and that that we see you know the the, the brutality the, hor- the horror and all that as central um, and again, not to diminish it, but that we don't see the graciousness on either side, even Jesus from the cross, you know, it, giving away, you know, you know, see your son here and, and see your, you know, see your mother here and, and see you have each other, even as I go or today to the thief, to the thief, you'll be with me in paradise. I mean, all of the graciousness gets consumed really by by the nails and the crown of thorns, et cetera. And we just sort of miss it all. So, well, I, I, I hate to give you something else to do, Bishop. Yeah. <laughs> maybe the church needs a new service. I mean, it seems like that we, we continually miss the idea of what happened on Easter night when Jesus returned to the table. So maybe we need, maybe <laughs> maybe we need, we need a new liturgy for Easter night. <laughs> With a return to the table. There liturgy. you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Look, if, if if that's got to go on my to do list, that's a good to do. So uh, that's it. <laughs> the that's clergy it. are going to kill me. Give them one more no, liturgy no. to do that weekend. <laughs> I, I think in our conversation, we have actually truth in advertising. You've talked about freeing Jesus, and I think maybe we freed Jesus today a little bit, uh, at least in how we understand Thursday, Friday, Saturday. In Sunday. Diana Butler Bass, thank you so much. This has been a, just a great treat, a delight. Oh, well, thank you for having me on. You're doing wonderful work and uh, the conversations you are hosting, the hospitality you are offering is a way really of taking these stories into the world that makes a difference. Thank you so much. God bless. Mm-hmm.